0: You're listening to the official Dietitian Connection podcast. This podcast gives you access to the most successful and influential experts in the dietetic profession. This podcast will inspire you, it will challenge you and it will empower you to become a nutrition leader and realise your dreams. Hello to all of our listeners and welcome to this week's episode of the Dietitian Connection podcast. I'm your host, Kate Agnew, and this week we've got Emma Stubbs joining us. So Emma is an accredited practicing dietitian and she's currently working as a clinical dietitian in Country Victoria. Emma is also a dedicated blogger, she's the face behind broccoli and blueberries, which you may have heard of before, and she's regularly invited to write for nutrition blogs and occasionally appears in online magazines. So welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, Emma, really lovely to have you here.
1: It's my absolute pleasure.
0: As we've talked about in the past, you and I both have a bit of an addiction to tahini, so I'm sure we'll get along very well. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> so to start us off, can you tell me about your university life in Melbourne, Um, a little bit about your journey, the highlights and also the lessons you've learned?
1: Yeah, okay, not a problem. So I went to uni for four and a half years in Melbourne. So that's quite a long period of time to condense into one question. But um, I guess like many uni students, it was my first time ever moving out of home. So when I finished high school, I worked f- full time for a year and then I went down to Melbourne so I moved from Hamilton to Melbourne, so Hamilton's about three and a half hours west of Melbourne, so it was a you know a little way away from home. So I first did an undergraduate degree, um the Bachelor of Food Science and Nutrition at Deakin, with the hopes to get into the masters um, So I was sort of living in Burwood, going to uni, making new friends, partying a lot, um, as you do. <laughs> I did some volunteering for Nutrition Australia and uh, the Heart Foundation and ended up as part of the Jump Rope for Heart team, uh, which was cool. So I was going out to primary schools um, doing sort of the launches for the Jump Rope for Heart program, which was good. And then I ended up with a job at the Heart Foundation. So that was, I really can't remember my undergraduate degree really that much because it just feels like a long time ago now. Um, But after I finished my undergraduate degree, I got straight into the Master of Dietetics program at Deakin, which was a huge relief and very exciting. I went into it with quite um, a few friends from my undergraduate degree. So it was nice to know people. Um, So I guess that was a really intense 18 months. And I think you'll ask anyone that's done dietetics at Deakin. It's pretty full on. Um, Yeah. Loved it, loved every minute of it. Being able to do my clinical placement at the Royal Melbourne Hospital, that was quite, I loved it. It was so busy and fast-paced and really nice and um, I guess I love Melbourne and I do miss Melbourne a lot. Just going out for breakfast and shopping and just, yeah, Melbourne really is the best city in the world. And um,
0: how was it when you moved back to the country after... University in Melbourne.
1: I it's better than what I anticipated. Definitely, I think you know. I knew what to expect. Being my hometown, small country town of about, a, no, I think we're about a ten thousand maybe. Um, so I know what the way of life is and what people are like. Um, so it hasn't been a massive change, I guess. When I look at my life here in Hamilton compared to what it was like in Melbourne, my breakfast locations are limited. There's some, not as many cafes in the melbourne and i only drive five minutes to work and some of my best friends are in melbourne so that you know that's hard but actually coming back to hamilton has been really good i love my job i'm living back with my parents for the time being
0: how's that going
1: not too bad not too bad yeah. um we sort of you know my parents have a big house so we're not living on each other and we come and go mum works as a shift worker and dad loves to go out fishing and go karting so we're not you know on top of each other all the time so it's actually not too bad it sounds like a good lifestyle yeah i do have a pretty good lifestyle here in hamilton surprisingly yeah <laughs> but yeah so the transition hasn't been too bad and look going to melbourne going from the country to the city It was a long time ago when I did leave Hamilton to go to Melbourne and, you know, it wasn't too bad. I didn't find it bad, but I think I, mum being a shift worker, she's, you know, was not always around at breakfast time or not around tea time. So I had to sort of, you know, learn how to cook and clean and do the washing and pay the bills. So when I moved out of home, it wasn't like I was a huge transition. So Mm.
0: what about being in a fairly busy city compared to your hometown when you were in Melbourne? um,
1: It didn't really bother me. I don't think Mm -hmm. like looking back now, I go back to Melbourne and I love it. Yeah, the traffic could be a pain in the butt sometimes, but.
0: They can walk everywhere. The public
1: transport system in um, in Melbourne is fantastic. Um, So, yeah. I guess, you know, you've got to factor in more time in Melbourne. But once you've been in Melbourne for a little while, you you get used to that That's a way of life.
0: And um, what do you get up to on a day-to-day basis with your current job? And um, can you tell me a little bit more about what you particularly love about it?
1: Yeah, okay. So because I work at a regional hospital, my days do vary. I'm not sort of just working on one ward every day or week, which I do actually quite like. So generally almost every Tuesday I'll be off-site. So we are contracted to a private nursing home in Hamilton of, I think, about 60 beds. So I might go out there once a month and see the aged care residents. Um, we've got a smaller hospital off our hospital out 20 minutes away where they've got a six-bed acute, they've got a 20-bed uh, nursing home and then a 40-bed hostel. So I go out there twice a month on a Tuesday So I'm generally not in the office on a Tuesday. Um, Some days, one day a month, I also go to another aged care home, which is actually attached to our hospital, which you've got more, some low level, but dementia, high level care patients. Um, So I'm there one day a week seeing the residents there. Thursday afternoons, I see outpatients. So they're often referrals from GPs in the area, just whether it's high cholesterol or just weight loss, um, different bits and pieces. And then throughout my week, um, I have pre-admission appointments for the patients going in for bariatric surgery. So they'll be thrown here and there, at lunch breaks and different times. So they often keep me on my toes. And then generally on the other days, so probably other three days a week, I'm seeing the inpatients on the wards. So we've got our medical ward, intensive care, rehab and surgical ward. So I go see inpatients. I go to the discharge planning meetings for both um, wards each day, which they're quite good because you sort of all sit in with other individuals within the MDT team. And it really does reinforce the importance of patient-centred care because the doctors do come in and out and you don't get the chance to maybe speak to the physios when you need to speak to the physios or speak to the nursing staff. So they're really good. So I go to meetings and then there's bits of admin and CPD and different bits and pieces chucked in here and there, Um, some QI as well. So it's pretty varied. Yeah, quite a variety
0: of um, cases there. Is there any... um certain population or any area within dietetics that you particularly enjoy
1: what i really liked and i think i liked it when i was on clinical placement um i definitely when i was on clinical placement i knew i wanted to be a clinical dietitian and then as i sort of finished uni and got out into sort of more community health public health i was like oh do i want to do that now i'm back in the clinical environment and i absolutely love it and i really love um nasogastric feeding like enteral nutrition parenteral nutrition ICU i really like those the numbers and yeah all the really clinical side with the patients yeah um so i do like working with the surgical patients i've done a lot recently with um a few people that have come out from bariatric surgery with some complications unfortunately um someone that came out of a uh, i think it was a colectomy so, we sort of had to look at different feeding options for him. So, I really like that side the um, gastro surgical patients and sort of looking at nutrition support.
0: And I was going to go into the bariatric surgery part a little bit more. In your opinion, do you see any particular gaps or areas where dietitians can really make a difference, um, I guess, in this population and in helping um, a smooth recovery? Um, or even whether it be preoperatively or postoperatively
1: yeah i guess they're a very interesting patient group so we um we're a public one of the public hospitals funded for bariatric surgery so we have a surgeon that does bari- um, sleeve gastrectomy surgeries weekly so the dietetics department is heavily involved with the bariatric framework and seeing those patients so we have dietitians that see them initially and that's sort of just to get an idea of their weight history, their weight loss attempts, why they want the surgery, what's their, their reason for the surgery and that aspect. And then we are quite involved in their pre and post-op nutrition. So we see them at pre-admission and we sort of talk to them about the Kickstart Diet, which is the VLED diet that they take they go on for two weeks prior to the surgery. And really the purpose of that is to shrink the liver size so it's easier for the surgeons to get in there and reduce the stomach size and complete the surgery. We touch base with them on the ward where they're starting up on liquids and then we now see them four weeks after their surgery. And at that point they should have been, they'll be sort of progressing onto the soft diets So we provide all the education in pre-admission for the different diet stages, liquid, then puree. And we really try and reinforce the protein so that they can maintain their muscle mass, help the healing of their wounds. Generally, most of them are laparoscopic, but occasionally there's been some open sleeve gastrectomy surgeries done and, you know, keep them full. So we sort of guide them with the type of foods that they need to eat um, and do see them at four weeks. So generally they're moving on to normal foods again and not being having to be as restrictive with the textures. I think it's very at it, the surgery, but there's also the behaviour change that needs to be addressed. So
0: Yeah, so long term, do you think it's important as well for dieticians to keep those follow-ups going?
1: Yeah, so we strongly encourage them to see us at six months because at six months, um, because you're reducing your stomach size, then we're looking at you know the intrinsic factor in the stomach is there's not as much, and the absorption of the, the iron and B12, that's really important. And I think we like to see them at six months. Hopefully, they've got a blood test done. We can see if they've got any micronutrient deficiencies, and then we can talk about what foods to start including or what not to, you know. Trying to optimize their diet in the long term for help with weight loss, but also make sure they're not malnourished, so Emma, I know that you're very passionate about the paddock to plate
0: approach, so uh, I'd really like if you told us a little bit more about this and what do you think it means for dietitians and or more specifically in your practice?
1: I just think we really need to just get back into the kitchen more and Learn where our food comes from, and teach our children how to cook and give them the practical skills to make a meal like if we all go we know that home cooking portion size is smaller, we're more in control of what goes into our food, and it's better for us overall and it would just be really nice to see more people doing that and eating less processed food because we know that we eat too much processed foods and i I think a lot of people are getting going back there, learning how to cook, trying new foods. We're very, I guess as a society, we have begun to rely on convenience and those more processed foods. I really would like to see people getting back into the kitchen more. And I think, especially for the kids, like I did some um, healthy eating workshops with the primary schools in my previous community job. Because at the end of the day, these children need to learn how to cook, they need to know where foods come from. Like, dairy doesn't come from trees. Like, that's ridiculous that some kids actually think that. Really? Yeah, there was a study done. I remember someone telling me about it. It was uni. So, we're going back a few years. My memory's probably not quite right. But there was a study done where it looked asked children where different foods came from and i feel like dairy was from trees something yeah. something ridiculous sort of which isn't quite right we just need to teach those kids and teach them how to make meals so that they're setting themselves up for a a long and healthy life
0: and is that something that you are quite passionate about on your blog broccoli and blueberries
1: i think my blog's all it's all over the place sometimes um because I'm all over the place sometimes. I think it's generally a reflection of me. Um, yeah, I like sharing recipes, um, talking about how to use different foods and being creative and not just using your standard. You know, I don't know. You know, like I did a whole post on tahini, how to use tahini. Because, you know, so many people buy tahini to make hummus and then they've got this jar of tahini in their cupboard and they don't know what to do with it. I
0: did like that post got lots of inspiration from that one
1: I, I remember when I bought a, my first ever jar of tahini to make hummus I had a friend say to me what do you use the, hummus, the rest of the tahini for and I said I have no idea and then I sort of began to use it with different things and getting creative and yeah
0: and have you had any mentors or inspirational people who have guided you along the way
1: it's gonna sound really corny but I think everyone has been played played a part in this journey. Like dietetics is hard; it's challenging. You really it really does test you. I think, oh, probably all university degrees. But from my experience at dietetics and doing ten weeks clinical placement straight, it's it's hard work. Um, so you know the dietetics team at Deakin are fantastic. Um, my placement supervisors were all really fantastic. My placement partners, they were fantastic. They were, because they know what's going on. They know what you're going through. So they help. Um, I actually work with my, um, the girl that I did my block one of clinical placement with is actually one of my colleagues at the hospital I work at now, which is really cool. Um, I've got my APD mentor, Lisa Yates, that has been a fantastic um, help because I sort of started my mentor partnership at the start of last year. So I was out of a job. It was sort of looking at where I was going, how to, like there was the option of going to private practice. So she sort of seen me go through all the multiple jobs that I had last year to getting to um, where I am now in my permanent full-time position, which is fantastic. <laughs> That's great. Um, and Emma Sterling. She was, she is fantastic. Um, you know, helping just when I did the Scoop Sub intern with Scoop, um, and then just since I finished uni and developing my blog and just our conversations, allowing me to write articles for her. Yeah, so I think everyone, everyone at uni, my friends, the my the really my best friends as well that I made while I was at uni have just been.
0: Yeah, a good and help. To finish us off, Emma, if you could change one thing in dietetics, nutrition, or the food industry to achieve your mission as a dietitian, what would it be?
1: I automatically go. I just wish sometimes pe- this whole fad diets, all that. As much as we talk about that diets don't work, and uh, to check your nutrition credentials, like it just doesn't seem to work. It'd be nice that people become more, you know, the moder- more about moderation and being a bit realistic with their eating, going back to basics. And I think that's what we really need to do is to get away from those superfoods and putting kale in our smoothies. I know that I, I write that always on my blog. I bring up kale smoothies because I just can't bring myself to drink one. I can't imagine. They're delicious. Um, but if anyone likes kale smoothies, that's fine. And you enjoy to drink them, go for it. Um, That's why I just always use kale smoothies because I just can't bring myself to do it. Um, But getting away from having to just like fill out foods with superfoods rather than just looking at, oh, hey, I probably could just eat some more vegetables. Like we just need to just calm down.
0: Yeah, but the, the moderation thing is gaining a little bit more in popularity. So I suppose it would be nice to see that more in practice.
1: I think it would be really good to see a bit more regulation around who can promote diets and all those type of things. But I know there's lots of logistics to that. But I think at the end of the day, we really, it's a person's choice what they eat. We just really just need to educate them. So I think, you know, we can talk about, oh, we can't sell, we shouldn't make these certain products and um, we should take, you know, remove sugary drinks or something. But at the end of the day, everyone should have a choice, but we really just need to be able to educate people and give them the understanding why we encourage water or milk instead of a soft drink
0: very well said emma and i just want to say thank you so much for sharing your wonderful approach to dietetics telling us a little bit about your story and also about your work it's been really great to chat to you and hear about everything you've been up to no
1: worries it's been my pleasure i hope that i haven't waffled too much
0: no not (laughs) at
1: all anyone knows me they know (laughs) that i like to waffle and talk a lot so yeah thanks (laughs) so much
0: much. as usual we'll have the key points from this episode available on our show notes as well as some additional resources and that'll be at dietitianconnection.com slash podcasts and i'd also like to say thank you to all of our dedicated listeners for tuning in today I hope you enjoyed the episode and that it was able to provide value to you and if you did it would be much appreciated if you could leave a review for us and also pass this podcast on to your colleagues and friends and also don't forget to subscribe to the dietitian connection podcast so that you can automatically get the new episode each week thanks again and we'll see you next time